This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hi and hello. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. I'm Padre broadcaster Jesse Agler. Thanks for joining us for what I believe is the fifth week of Padres Social Hour, the quarantine edition, the Padres Social Distancing Hour, whatever you want to call it. We've used all the jokes by now. And uh, thanks for coming to hang out. Hope everybody had a good weekend. More importantly, hope you are safe, healthy, and uh, able to make the most of what is obviously a very challenging situation for all of us. What we try and do, just distract you a little bit, talk some baseball, have some fun. And today we've got double-barreled action in the Social Hour uh, pitching staff because the lefty is here, Randy Jones. And the big right-hander, uh, Bob Scanlon, is with us as well. Gentlemen, a pleasure to see both of you. RJ? Always a pleasure, guys. Scan's good to see you, my friend. RJ, always great to see you, my man. And, uh, you know, it's so fun seeing you in, in your home surroundings there. I, I thought I'd see some taxidermy big bass up on the wall. and some <laughs> <in North. laughs> uh, No, no, you know, I'm not that high-tech on this stuff, man. There's, there's <laughs> stuff on the walls, but there's no, no big bass or... You know, there might be a few birds hanging around, you know. Hey, maybe I should do that next time. Next Monday, I just got to put all my bird mounts on my desk. It'll look like I'm in a jungle. You know, it was fun, too. I remember some of the broadcasts we used to do. And you'd bring your dog with you to the ballpark and to the to the, to the set. Where, where's your, where's yeah, your dog? No, yeah, but, you know, RJ and Jimmy, like like I told the, the gang here for Social Hour, if we're going to do this right around dinner time, they're not going to be near me, man. They're They're in the <laughs> kitchen with Marie. <laughs> they're gonna be they're hanging out with Marie right now. I know where they're at. All right. Uh, yeah, and, and you could bring them. I'm sure it's oh, hey. in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah I like it. Are you, do you have a, is that a custom Randy Jones t shirt, by the way? What do we got here? Yeah. Uh every year, like for the fourth of July for a party, I always get some shirts made for uh for Marie and I, and then you know, and, and for my in, my in-laws and my two daughters. And so we uh we, we all put our, our shirts on and go over and celebrate the fourth of July at at a good friend of mine, Clyde Jennings' house, have a little pool party. So I started this about three years ago. And so, you know, like today, well, it seemed like all my Padre shirts are dirty. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I, I grabbed it. I grabbed it. Hey, you got worked. barbecue sauce on them, huh? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Very well done. Very well done. Uh, all right. As always, the show is interactive. You've already seen some of the comments flying in. So whether you're with us, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, uh, all the different uh, platforms, you can comment away. Also, if you open up your MLB Ballpark app, you have the opportunity to play a game with us. It is Social Hour Bingo. Go into the app. By the way, my my card is already filling up. Uh, go to the Padres section and then go down to games and find Social Hour Bingo. I believe it is the first game listed. And we uh, play different bingo games you want. Social Hour Bingo, and uh, man, we are we are rocking and rolling already on uh, Bingo. My card, guys. I am I am closing in 
on bingo already. We've been on the you air. Can't for play. You can't play. You can't well, not play. eligible. Look at all those check marks. You're not you're not supposed to play. You can't I don't win. Think I'm eligible for prizes, but I can play for fun. <laughs> I don't understand that. Uh what are you saying the fix, Randy? Huh? I just got a box. I just said Manny Machado's name. I got a box. I can game the RJ, whole you think, you think it's fixed? Is that what's I going on? It. I think it is right now. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't win anything. I'm just having – I tell you, you get an autograph bet or something, I'm turning you in, Agler. That's I will. fair. No, it says the fine print at the bottom. I'm not eligible to win any prize. Hey, Scans, Scans, I got to ask you a question. If you were going through this scenario and you're an active pitcher, what have you been doing the last, you know, five, six weeks? What do you, you know, RJ, been doing? Look – I was one of those guys. I was always fighting to keep my spot on the roster. So to be honest with you, I've probably been working out all this time. I would have found a wall somewhere at the local high school with a bunch <laughs> of baseballs that I could throw against it and do whatever I could so that when this thing resumes, I was in position to actually keep my job on the team. So, and plus I just, I can't sit around. I would just be going crazy. I'd be wanting to do something. How about you? Well, you'd probably be out fishing right now, right? No. Yeah. I mean, but I, you know, I would, yeah, but in between that, I'd be playing catch, you know, keeping my arm yeah. loose. I'm not sure if I try to get on a mound so much, but just keeping you know, the arm, the limberness, you know, the strength, and, and and definitely be running and keeping my stamina up. That'd be the maybe my biggest concern coming back. You know, whenever we play baseball, uh, don't let don't let your all the endurance, all the hard work. You know, you you want to be able to go deeper into a ball game than you know being on a you know thirty pitch count or something like that. So you know, I I definitely would have done that. And, you know, all I know, the only time I throw a baseball now is to these bird, two bird dogs. I've gone through about a half a dozen <laughs> brand new major league baseballs. You know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit of low. I'm getting nervous right now. I need some more baseballs so I can work my dog. You know, Jesse, I love that he's talking about endurance for a guy that had 25 complete games one season. You know that endurance was an issue. <laughs> hey, RJ, I'm always, I'm always curious because you and I were completely different style pitchers. You were the crafty lefty. I was sort of the, the power right hander. So for me, I'm thinking. I'm trying to keep my arm in shape so that I have the velocity, but I'm curious if it's a shortened spring training type situation, you being more of a finesse guy and a feel guy, who do you think would have the advantage from a pitching standpoint of trying to get sharper, quicker would have been affected you and your style more. Or you think a guy like myself, uh, you know, it had taken me a little longer work. I mean, I literally had to take the edge off my arm. You know, my, the biggest enemy I had, you know, in a five man rotation is being too strong where my, you know, my sinker ball would flatten out and just tail a little bit. Uh, and that, and that, and that would, could be a real dilemma, especially early in the game with arm was too strong, get some adrenaline going and trying to overthrow the baseball. And so a lot of times in between starts, I bet I would throw quite a bit, get my arm, maybe take the edge off, get it a little bit tired, you know, because then that at that point, you know, my, I just my sinker ball was better and, and the change in speed just seemed to stimulate, you know, more sink on it. So, um, you know, I, I, I just think that being too strong would be a disadvantage for me and for you as a power pitcher, that would be an advantage to you. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a great question, Scans. It really is. Uh, hi to Michael. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, Gage as well. Good to see Bobby Cressy in here, the Padres organist uh, at Petco Park. Um, before we jump into kind of like the, the scheduled stuff, uh, this question obviously comes up every day, guys, and we don't really have any, you know, more new information or anything like that. But I suppose it's fair to kind of address it best we can. Uh, today's version comes from Hector. And he says, hey, any news on when the season will start? Short answer, Hector, no. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's unfortunately just sort of been the, the situation for quite some time now. Uh, you know, there's little bits and pieces of things trickling out in terms of uh, both where the Players Association and MLB are at, you know, when it comes to negotiating what it might look like when it could happen. Uh, but the reality right now is that, you know, there's, there's no way 
I, I think at this moment, at least to have any sense of when it's happening. We'll talk a little bit more later, too, about some of the international leagues and how they're handling it. Uh, the uh, CPBL, the Chinese Professional Baseball League in Taiwan, they are playing games right now. Uh, Korea, the KBO, they're thinking about trying to get some things going. Uh, Nippon Baseball in Japan, the NPB, they're pushing things back and not giving a start date. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Uh, but as of right now, there's really no solid concrete information uh, at all to pass along. So trying to fill uh, our, our sports appetites best we can. And guys, one of the ways uh, a lot of us were able to do that last night was the, the start of that new Michael Jordan and Bulls documentary on ESPN. Uh, not sure if you watched it or, or or didn't, but boy, I thought it was just brilliantly entertaining. The first two parts of a 10-part documentary. And I mean, Scans, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here today of all days. I mean, you were pitching for the Cubs in the early 90s. Um, what can you tell us about being in that city uh, with that Bulls team just sort of starting to get going? You know, Jesse, it brings back such great memories because you're right. When you think of Chicago, it is such a fun sports town. You've got the Bears. You've got two baseball teams, the Cubs and uh, that other team, whatever it is on the south side. And then the Bulls, of course. And when we were first watching Chicago Bulls basketball, it was terrible. And then this guy, Michael Jordan, shows up. And they win their first championship in 1991, which was my first year in the big leagues with the Cubs. And we were in town playing the Giants for that series when the Bulls clinched it. And Jesse, I, I still remember the, the town just being on fire. Just It was crazy being up in our apartment. I was with some of my teammates and we're looking out our window, just watching the city go crazy. Um, and it, it was exciting. And it was exciting for us as professional athletes to be in the same town as something like that going on and to know that you're around greatness. And to be honest with you, it was inspiring. Because you're seeing something happen for the first time. You're in a town that in, is embracing sports. And I really do think it carried over um, to the enthusiasm. People were like, okay, great. We watched a championship uh, take place in our city. Now maybe we can see it and follow that up at the baseball park as well. So it was good for the entire city and, and something that I'll never forget. RJ, one of the things that MJ, of course, is most known for and that's already been highlighted in this documentary is just like, that competitive edge and just how intensely and insanely competitive he was, which of course was, I think, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why he was so beloved by other professional athletes who looked up to him. Very similar stuff we've heard about Kobe uh, in the last few years with the next generation of athletes. Uh, Randy, when, when I say competitive, who comes into your mind from, from your era? Guys you played with, guys you pitched against as like the most hyper-competitive dudes. Oh, well, you know what? Well, I'll start with Pete Rose. You know, nobody, nobody more competitive than Pete. I mean, day in and day out. And and I did I watched I watched a portion of that last night and and just shook my head in in, in watching Jordan and in they could talk about him boy, he's locked, he was locked in a lot of those games. You know, um, and it, it, it put a smile on my face. I just I understand that intensity. You know, and it might be for an hour and a half during the game or whatever that game might be. But, you know, it, it, I mean, extreme competitiveness and just, you know, mentally just locked in in his own world out there, you know, playing the game and and, and, and being the best at it. And, you know, but overall, I mean, just, you just remember, you start with Pete Rose, even that big red machine. I mean, that just, uh, you know, once once they got going and Tony Perez, Vince, Joe Morgan, you know, it's Foster. I mean, it, it was uh, it was unreal. I mean, you get that. And he did the same thing with the Pirates and Stargell and Parker and, and all those guys and Richie Zisk. And, and man, I mean, you just, uh, I mean, a lot of guys, you know, play with a lot of intensity. And it just, uh, it was good. It was, it was competitive. I loved it. What, what does that do to you? By the way, Pete Rose hit 183 against Randy off the top of my head, uh, the most competitive <laughs> guy of all time. 
in almost 100 at bats. Uh, but as a pitcher, particularly, and I hear from both of you, RJ and then Scans, I mean, when you're facing a guy like that, you know, that ultra competitive, ultra talented, obviously, super intense guy, I, I imagine that changes your, your approach a little bit on the mound or your focus or whatever. Well, it does. And what you try to do is take advantage of his aggressiveness. You know, uh, and I love doing that. I mean, uh, especially if the guys, you got guys in scoring position and, you know, if he just, if he just, he tried to step it up a notch, you know, and I would slow it down a notch and it seemed to work out pretty well for me, you know, and he's, he's sitting dead on fastball and good for him because it's really hard hitting a 75 mile an hour sinker ball when it's two and oh, it really is. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it, Randy. And I was thinking the exact same thing as soon as Jesse was asking about playing against the super competitive guys. And on the one hand, you're fired up, too, because you're like, this is the matchup that you think about all day. This is the one coming out of the bullpen, especially where I would be planning it and looking at it, going over my mind. Okay, if I face this guy in the seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning with runners on base, what's he going to be trying to do? How am I going to approach it? And you took the words right out of my mouth in terms of trying to take advantage of their own intensity because you know that they're up for that moment. And I had to try to back myself off because for me to try to throw even harder was going to be a mistake. But the one thing that I did do oftentimes is I would maybe try to get those guys a little upset. So it was not uncommon for me to come first pitch fastball inside and maybe just a little bit further inside. Nice. It was comfortable just to try to light a little fire under them and get them even more like determined. Oh, I'm going to get this guy. And then I tried to go softer at that point. So to your point, exactly. And you were a lot better at it than I was, but I, I tried to uh, incorporate the same strategy. Uh, that's so cool hearing about it. Scans. I mentioned, you know, you had a generation of athletes. It didn't matter the sport looking up to Michael Jordan. You were there in Chicago at the time. We say very many of the same things, as I mentioned uh, about Kobe Bryant, to me, that's always so striking because we talk about the competitiveness and the intensity of professional athletes and, and for guys at the very top of their sports to look to somebody else at that same time, a, a, someone who's of their era, a contemporary of theirs and say, that's the guy like that's the, to me, that's just such an extraordinary thing within sports. It, it really is. And we're all competitive. Anybody that's on a professional sport field is going to be competitive. There's no question about it. But there are certain guys that take it to that next level, so to speak. And I think Randy bringing up Pete Rose was the first baseball guy that came to mind. Um, and what was so interesting about watching that show last night about MJ, I, the part that I really resonated with me was how tough he was on his teammates. And I think you've got to be a unique kind of guy to be able to do that. You've got to have an intensity level. Now, obviously, he was a great player, no question about it. But I think also his approach, his work ethic, put him into a situation where he was able to challenge some of his teammates. And I think some people may watch that and say, oh, he was kind of a jerk to his teammates and, and pushing them and, and you know, challenge them during practice and everything. But really, that's the type of thing that champions do. They motivate other people. And they set an example. And you're absolutely right to, to be a fellow athlete, whatever the sport. You know, I looked at I admired Wayne Gretzky and you look at uh, Magic Johnson was a guy that I grew up admiring, not only because of his intensity and his willingness to win, but also how he interacted with his his teammates and his ability to make all his teammates better as well. So there's a lot of things that go into that competitive edge. But with MJ, there's no question about it. The guy, he was he was a unique beast. And and, and you see those types of guys, they do motivate other other players. I don't know, RJ, if you had a a situation like that or a teammate like that, that, that brought you to a higher level at times. Oh, I, you know, there's, there's certain guys you can get your fired up, you know, I like Gene Kenneth is that way. Uh, you know, I mentioned there's a comment, uh, that we just, somebody, uh, chatted about Cam and Eddie definitely and being around the ball club at that time doing radio and they're quite a bit. I mean, what he meant to that team, what a difference maker he could be wow. 
with his intensity. You know, and I reflect back too. I mean, even uh, you know, 75, 76, I score up on them on a four day rotation. And all of a sudden, I'm going to score up with Seaver Wednesday evening. And, and, you know, and Tom Seaver's so competitive and so am I. I mean, you, you pretty much assumed it was probably going to be ding near nothing to nothing in the seventh and just see what happened at the end of the game and just go out there and compete your butt out. And, and that's one of those scenarios, Gans, where you, you know you can't even give up a run. And you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> you know, you talk about stingy. That ain't stingy. Hell, you're not going to give up a thing. And it's just the competitiveness between the two of us, you know, uh, in between innings. I mean, kind of looking at each other going, you know, you know, good luck, you know. And I, I, I love that part. I mean, that's the part you really miss about competing day in and day no, out. No question. You know, you mentioned Caminiti, and I was briefly in the Houston organization, Astros, at the same time the Cami was. Um, and it was still, it was towards the end of his career. So he wasn't quite the physical presence. In fact, most of that season he spent on the DL just trying to recover from injuries and everything. But the point is just being around him, it was almost intimidating in terms of how <laughs> intense he was. And you knew that if you came to the ballpark and you weren't at the same intensity level as him, you were going to hear about it. And <laughs> I didn't want that guy coming at me with a bat in the clubhouse sometimes. He had those, he had those blue eyes and that gaze when he looked at you. That was intimidating all by itself. Yeah. Right he's, he's looking right through you. Whoa, whoa. You know, yeah. I'm just a radio guy, man. I'm just a radio guy. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Melody brings up Chris Paddock. Certainly uh, that's a name that was mm. kind of going through my head as we talked all about this, particularly that, you know, matchup against the big time hitter. Of course, we all remember that uh, initial confrontation a year ago uh, with Pete Alonzo at, at Petco. That, that was a lot of fun. All right. So good stuff uh, with the MJ documentary uh, parts three and four, I guess, coming up next Sunday on ESPN, and we'll probably be talking about it again uh, next Monday. Uh, coincidentally, by the way, Scans, uh, we would have been in Chicago today had uh, the season been progressing as scheduled. Uh, Padres would have an off day today in Chicago, in fact, so I'm sure we'd be hearing all about the Michael Jordan documentary, although I guess it wouldn't be on now. It was originally supposed to be on in June. Anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. We would have been in Chicago today, and we would have been uh, in Mexico City the last couple of days uh-huh. uh, for that Padres Diamondback series. One of like the big disappointments, aside from all the obvious things uh, about the current situation, was missing that trip. It felt not necessarily once in a lifetime, but it did feel special, different, uh, and out of the ordinary. Uh, Bob, I mean, it's just uh, another, I guess, uh, you know, example of, of things that have been turned upside down here in 2020. But I, I know I was really looking forward to that. Oh, I certainly was as well, Jesse. And I think you're familiar with my connection with Mexico, having played summer ball down there with the Diablos Rojos who are owned by, you know, Mr. Uh, Harp Alou, who the stadium is named after down there that we would have been playing in down in Mexico City. So um, a lot of connections for me personally, a lot of great experiences and memories of playing in Mexico and playing with, with Mexican players and all the experiences that I had down there. But the thing that also is really unique is the connection the Padres organization has with Mexico. I mentioned that, you know, Senor Harp Alou is, is the only Mexican-born part owner of any major league baseball club right now. He loves baseball and that he has, he has the Academy down there. Not only the stadium that's named after him, a lot of Padre players are starting to come out of that Academy and making a difference here for the Padres as well. And you, you think back to 1996 when the Padres played a series down there, that was the first time that a major league baseball game had been played out of the country. It took place you know, down there in Mexico. And uh, of course we remember the, the Snickers game with Kem Caminiti hitting the two runs and Fernando Valenzuela, throwing out the first pitch and pitching so magnificently down there in front of his, his home people. So a lot of great memories. And it's really unfortunate that we didn't get a chance to go down and, and create some more this time, but hopefully we get another opportunity uh, in the future sometime. 
Yeah, you're seeing some of the uh, footage there of the new stadium that opened uh, just a year or two ago now at this point. Uh, Padres played uh, kind of an exhibition down there against the Diablos Rojos uh, during spring training a year ago. Just a phenomenal facility. And that is the team in Mexican baseball, uh, the the Red Devils, uh, Diablos Rojos, and uh, a wonderful place for them to call home. As you mentioned, Alfredo Harpelu, minority owner for the Padres, and uh, the key man there, someone who loves, loves, loves baseball so much. So disappointing, uh, certainly, that we didn't have the opportunity to do that. Uh, but we figured today, who better to talk to about all of that and just baseball in general than uh, the voice, uh, La Voz, of the Padres and Espanol, Eduardo Ortega, one of my very favorite people uh, in the world and a legendary figure in baseball broadcasting. Uh, World Series, All-Star Games, and of course, many, many years, uh, not only calling uh, Padre baseball, but Mexican League baseball as well. It was a treat to catch up with Eduardo just a little while ago. Oh, Eduardo, you're one of those faces I miss very much. I used to being around you every day during the baseball season. Glad to hear you're healthy and, and your family is doing well. What have you been doing with yourself? How are you spending your time right now? Well, Jesse, I'm very happy to be in your show today and uh, get back in touch with our great, great Padres fans uh, around the world. Uh, well, I've been, uh, like everybody else, uh, busy uh, trying to catch up with uh, books, a lot of movies, a lot of series on TV, all the platforms, and uh, watching once in a while the games on TV, and, uh, you know, uh, trying to really, really uh, spend time with family, but uh, just waiting. Like everybody else. Yeah, just trying to figure out uh, how to fill those days and when baseball will be back. Uh, had baseball been going on as normal, we all would have been in Mexico City this past weekend uh, at the new ballpark there uh, for the Padres and the Diamondbacks, a couple of games. Um, I was very disappointed to miss that. There are obviously a lot of things to be disappointed about right now from the baseball standpoint. That might be near the top of the list. Paint us a picture if you could of what we might have been able to experience this past weekend had we been there. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I was, as well as you, uh, very disappointed uh, when they announced that. It was, of course, for the normal reasons and the best decisions the MLB is taking uh, through baseball and not going to Mexico, Puerto Rico, those games. But um, that was very, was they were going to be very special because the biggest event, uh, with the Padres and the Diamondbacks playing each other in Mexico City at the new uh, stadium, Don Alfredo Harp Elu Stadium. It's uh, because those games were scheduled to be, for the first time ever, official games in Mexico City. We've been there, as you remember, we played the Astros there, and uh, Padres being in Mexico so many times in Monterey, and Sinaloa and Sonora exhibition games preseason. But uh, Mexico City... The whole crowd, the whole country were really uh, traveling. People that I know, friends, uh, baseball, from baseball in uh, the summer, in the winter leagues, they were already waiting to be part of history because never Major League has played official games in the regular season in the capital of the country. And uh, that was the, probably the biggest disappointment for a lot of people. Yeah, it's a huge city, too. I mean, geographically, Mexico City, from a population standpoint, and baseball's a pretty good deal there. We obviously know all about Estadio Azteca there uh, and the great snucker crowds. And they always, whenever I watch a, a snucker match that takes place in Mexico City, they mention the altitude. Altitude in baseball is a big deal, as we know in Denver. It's even higher in Mexico City, right? It is. It is, definitely. And uh, they talk always about the baseball flying farther, you know, the different baseball 
Mm, probably not quite at the Rocky Mountain in the course field with the Rockies baseball, but uh, you can tell, you can see uh, during their baseball game, when I worked in the Summer League in uh, 1986, my only year in the Summer League in Mexico, the year I start with the Padres in late in the season in August of that summer. But I can remember traveling with my team, Torreón, the Cowboys, Los Vaqueros, the Unión Laguna, to Mexico City. Everybody, the hitters, of course, were very, very excited to play there and, and get a better <laughs> offensive numbers, average, and all of that went up. But um, for the fun entertainment, for the fans uh, who lives there, they just, uh, the big sector of the Mexico City, remember, Mexico City is uh, the largest as a city, including the state of Mexico, who, who surrounds the Mexico City capital, uh, the capital nation, is almost 23 million populations. So it was, but also, uh, the first year of the Mexico City uh, team, the Diablos Rojos, the, the team who plays there, they own, they own the place, uh, they were experiencing the in what way the ballpark will uh, carry on, uh, will be favorable on the batters or the hitters. And everybody say the same thing. It's the, fly, the ball is flying a lot. Uh, Eduardo is a legendary figure in baseball broadcasting. Certainly, you mentioned a couple of times now, the Summer League and the Winter League in Mexico. Uh, you know, when, when the Padres season ends, I try and kick my feet up a little bit, relax, catch my breath. That is not at all what you do, is it? No, I live uh, for baseball. That's in my blood. And since I started in the broadcasting and radio when I was 17 years old, I always want to be in baseball, involved, of course, in my passion for baseball, for Lucha Libre as a fan. But uh, baseball in Mexico, that was my school. That was my platform to take off, trying to get uh, reach my goals in the major leagues. Of course, like everybody does in the minor leagues, as dreaming to become a major leaguer in, in all capacities. Could be player, coaching, uh, administration. But in, my, in our case, as a broadcaster, uh, you do, too, uh, as a college baseball announcer. Remember, you're days in Florida, of course. But uh, that's a long way. And for me, I was so lucky. I did uh, the first five years in Mexican baseball in the winter, but uh, I take uh, right after the, the postseason when I used to call the World Series after my 25th World Series, the last one I called, I went I, and I still going right after to Mexican Pacific Coastal League in Mexicali, which is very easy for me because it's only two hours away from San Diego in the winter ball. Mexicali's south border of uh, El Centro, California. Uh, incredible uh, the amount of work you put in, but like you said, you love it. How old were you, Eduardo, Eduardo when you attended your first Padre game in Mission Valley? Uh, that was back probably I was 11, 12 years old in the mid-17s, 17, yeah, when I used to watch uh, my hero Dave Winfield. Uh, incredible. Uh, baseball is in Eduardo's blood. The Padres are in Eduardo's blood. Uh, I can't tell you how much I miss hearing your stories and getting the opportunity to see you on a, on a daily basis during this season. But this is nice. This is OK. This will, this will get me through a few days. Again, so glad to hear that you're healthy, safe and uh, family as well. And hopefully we'll be seeing you again so soon. Thank you for the time. No, thank you, Jesse. I want to say hello to all the fans and sending my best to their families, of course, and our fans south of the border in Mexico. Tijuana, as you know, our neighborhood, neighbors of the south is now ranked uh, number uh, three city with most uh, problems with those healthy uh, issues so we will we send our best thank you jesse and vamos la hora social the social hour of the padres <laughs>
the best, uh, the best, the best, the best. Eduardo Ortega, big thank you. And uh, like I said to him, I, I mean it. It's uh, very nice to see his face. It makes me feel a little bit better and, and obviously hear his voice um, as well. Speaking of faces, gentlemen, Randy and Bob, and voices that we haven't been seeing uh, with as much regularity, uh, that would be our, our friends, Don Orsillo and Mark Grant. Now, let's Andre fans. Uh, the opportunity every Friday at 5.30 when we take the day off, very lazy, social hours Monday through Thursday. Uh, Fridays at 5.30, uh, they have been broadcasting uh, Padre video games on MLB The Show. Uh, Padres went to 2-0, and uh, beat the Dodgers in the first game two Fridays ago, beat the Giants this past Friday. And uh, as you might expect, there were some very entertaining moments to come out of that uh, online uh, broadcast. And so we present to you a couple of our favorites. I'm getting hungry. Really? Yeah. You're not going to go get up and go to the refrigerator or anything right now, are you? Like hey, it's Friday night. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a good time to eat. <laughs> what is it a good time to eat for you? <laughs> you know, I, I have found myself just going to the refrigerator for no apparent reason at all, just because I'm bored. That's why I've yep. gained like 20 pounds. And, of course, it doesn't show, does it? <laughs> 20 huh 20 ish 20 ish you do appear to have a lot more face the one one <laughs> is in the air oh yeah every wednesday night on the road you and i find a club we go clubbing and dancing and i'm a lot yeah. of hands i like hands in the air looks weird here but in the club very hot <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. Everybody wave your hands in the air. Wave your hands like you just don't care. Don't care. And believe me, when Donnie's on the dance floor, he doesn't care. Uh, he just goes. Seize part, you know. Bulls yeah. just everything opens up. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, just stellar. Just stellar. The refrigerator is a problem, by the way. I mean, you <laughs> are. It's it's that's a real thing when you're at home all day. I'm not going to give a hard time about that. <laughs> oh, you got to you have a lot more face. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, guys, I tell you, I, honestly, people ask me how much I enjoy my job, and I tell people I've got the best job in baseball. I've got a great seat every single night. I'm talking to talented, engaging players. I, I'm talking baseball with the prior faithful, the best fans in the game, and I get a chance to listen to Don and Mud with shenanigans <laughs> like that all all night long. It's the best. Those guys keep you rolling, don't they? Yeah, I I love it, man. When they you know they they start doing the broadcast, you know, and and. Uh, you know, never a dull moment, guys, and that's what it's all about. And it, and you guys all interact so well together and talking about the game, keeping it fun, and you 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 keep us, you know, the fan informed, but you know, you keep it fun. I love that. Yeah, uh, outstanding as always. And again, you can see their next uh, virtual broadcast coming up <laughs> at uh, five thirty on Friday. Watch it live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And Twitch, uh, it's perfect. You watch Social Hour Monday through Thursday at 5.30, and then those guys take over on Friday night. <laughs> I don't know this week's matchup. I saw somebody ask that. I, I don't know uh, the matchup of the Probables, uh, but Don and Mud, I believe, will be on Social Hour together again on Thursday. So we'll do a full preview. Maybe we'll do a pregame show on Thursday. We'll just we'll break down the matchup and uh, dive into all of it. Jesse, uh, can I ask you a question real quick before we go on? Coming up in a few minutes about bench-clearing brawls. Uh, there was one of those in Taiwan over the weekend. You probably saw the highlights of that. I want to break that down with these two guys, both pitchers 
and uh, see what they made of what took place uh, in that game between the Guardians and the Monkeys of the CPBL. Uh, oh. we'll hear that uh, today, in addition to uh, us uh, supposed to be having an off day in Chicago, uh, Patriots Day in Boston, the day they run the Boston Marathon, the day that uh, the Red Sox play a game at 11 o'clock in the morning every year. I think that's one of the coolest traditions in baseball uh, is that everybody can go to the Red Sox game in the morning and then get out to the finish line of the marathon uh, and, and see the people do that thing uh, later on in the day. It's a, it's a really neat, special, and obviously unique thing that takes place. And uh, we have a very good San Diego connection. Longtime San Diego resident, Neb Kaflesky, uh, who won the Boston Marathon in 2014, a very special kind of emotional year after the, the bombings that took place the previous season at the finish line. And uh, we had him on Padre Social Hour a couple of months after that, way back. That was the first year of Social Hour uh, in 2014. He also won the New York Marathon in 2009. Uh, the only American, I believe, to have won both of those races, men at least, and uh, also a silver medalist in the Olympics and a great marathon and distance runner uh, during his college years at UCLA. He's retired now. Uh, he left San Diego, but it was still nice to be able to uh, reach out to Meb. And we chatted earlier this afternoon about the Boston Marathon and uh, just how he misses going to Padre games. All right. I don't know anybody better to talk to uh, on Marathon Day uh, than this guy. Meb, I think the last time we had you on the show... I uh, was right after you won the Boston Marathon in 2014. Uh, it's uh, a lifetime ago, I know, but I imagine still one of the uh, great memories of your lifetime. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It is my uh, was a big honor to win the Boston Marathon six years ago. I can't believe it's been that long, but uh, you know, to be able to pull that victory was an incredible, mean, most meaningful victory in my career. I've been very fortunate to win New York and silver medal, but. Because of what happened in 2013 at the Boston Marathon, uh, an American needed to win the next year. And I was just honored and privileged to lead the 36,000 runners who wanted to do something positive from the catastrophic moment of the 2013 bombing to be able to be able to just celebrate life and the humanity that Marathon brings together and to be able to pull that victory, running my best time ever at a tough course and uh, almost 30 to wish out my 39th birthday, uh, I just felt like God was uh, in presence for me, able to help me lead that uh, race and win it. And having the victim's name on my bed, you know, felt like it was still yesterday, you know, to carry their spirit throughout the 26-mile journey. Well, it was a historic achievement and a, an extra meaningful one, as you alluded to, after what had happened the previous year. Uh, I was reading something this past weekend about the Boston Marathon and how, I guess, running people, and, and I do my three miles and I'm out, so I don't consider myself a running person, but uh, that, that I guess generally, and please correct me if I'm wrong, people consider it because of the weather and the geography to be the most difficult of, of the major marathons. Uh, one, is that true? And two, that must only add to how special of a place it is to run. Absolutely. The, you know, Obviously, the Boston Marathon is the most prestigious marathon in the world, the grandfathers of all the marathons, 124th years of running and this year's unfortunately postponed till, till September but it's a difficult course you know you go from point to point it's one of the easiest uh course to remember but one of the difficult ones very comparable to New York City Marathon Central Park but the underlying hills go up and down it's very challenging and uh, you know uh, but the you know Bostonians know their sport you know from their Red Sox games to you know the you know the Celtics and Patriots and Bruins. So that day, Patri on Patriots Day, everybody knows about the marathon runners and to get together. They often message in Massachusetts or in Boston and to come and support you is great. 
the, the crowds are incredible for that marathon every year. Uh, we talk about this a lot in baseball and some of the other team sports and how uh, sometimes guys say players, you know, they can either tune out the crowd and they just get hyper focused or they're sort of pumped up by the crowd. What's it like as a runner when you're running in one of these extraordinarily huge events? Well, thanks for having me again. I will go Padres at the same time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love getting the energy from the crowd. I never really tune it out. Uh, there's sometimes that you want to tune it out at the beginning, but when they get tough going and you just, you know, you look at somebody familiar faces or somebody says, drop your shoulders. And when I was in high school, when familiar faces and then others, it just, they say your name or go USA when you compete in the Olympic, uh, uh, Olympic team. And they say, come on, USA, you can get the next guy and things like that. So you hear it and you, you just take direction really well and try to get that person ahead of you. But I, you know, the crowd, you know, when so massive crowd is uh, thrill, and especially when I was winning the Boston Marathon or running the New York City Marathon first Avenue, you can just, it's electrifying. And that can just, you know, you're that close, you know, you're inches away or they can sometimes have given high five. So stuff like that is, uh, is very uh, vibrating energy. And uh, I get a thrill of that at the Boston Marathon uh, six years ago, but always New York also going to the first Avenue is the thunder <laughs> and i love the energy personally so you know you pump your chest or give them fist bump and you can communicate that eye eye, eye contact and uh, or just your thumbs up uh, it gets that person going you want to do more and you, obviously that transmit transports to energy and movement in your body no uh, it's remarkable and just hearing you talk about it gets me uh, a little bit excited um obviously not a normal day and, and you would have loved to be there and, and the running community really comes together and it's a big community for days like this, uh, not just in person, in Boston, the runners, the fans. Uh, what have you been able to do uh, today, maybe the last couple of days to connect with that running community? Well, at the Boston Marathon, they've been rerunning the 2014 Boston Marathon victory and Des Linden also follows San Diego who won in 2018 and they're going to show their Boston film documentary tonight. And uh, uh, so I've been doing a lot of Zoom uh, calls and meetings, meet and greet. I guess through Zoom yesterday and with the mayor, uh, Walsh yesterday. And, um, and then today we did the charity event and then also coupled, I got a couple more left tonight, but a lot of meet and greet through the zoom. And because some people are devastated, the race not going on, but I try to explain to them, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and don't lose hope, you know, health comes first. And, uh, this is where we need to stay in to win, uh, listen to our leaders of the city and, or uh, the state to be able to try to find the curve or uh, this pandemic has been hard on everybody and and the less the better inter interaction now or six feet or 20 feet whatever it is and wearing masks and when you go for a run especially in boston and new york so i have to send uh pictures of me running with a mask for for them to let them know that hey we all runners need to stay in together and work together and try to prevent the 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 pandemic and then we're we're maxed to save lives very nice uh Mav, great to see your face again longtime san diego resident it was always a treat having you out at the ballpark and getting the opportunity to see you uh sorry that you weren't able to be in boston today but thank you for taking the time uh to chat with us and, and to pass along some of those uh, great lessons and pieces of information stay healthy and uh, thank you again thanks for having me go padres oh there we go thank you sorry about that nice. uh you're back. I'm back. Yay. Technically, <laughs> nice. It happens. I saw your lips um, moving. I saw your lips moving. I saw them. 
You know what it is? I mute myself during the interview because the interview is taped and I forgot to <laughs> unmute after the interview. Uh, sorry about that. I apologize. <clears throat> um, anyway, I'm well, saying if you're, you're saying any kind of baseball fan, the thing you know right now is that there is one league uh, operational in the world, one professional baseball league. That is the CPBL in Taiwan, the Chinese Professional Baseball League. And uh, they had action uh, this weekend in the game between the Guardians and the Monkeys. So I got some questions for you guys as we watch this, this video here. Uh, bench clearing brawl. That is the hit by pitch. Um, but the things that preceded the hit by pitch, I guess, were most interesting. There were four looping 50-mile looking an hour breaking balls coming inside uh, before the guy was finally hit uh, on the backside uh, by this thing. So I guess my first question to the two of you, yeah, there's ball one, and it's like, all right, we all know what's happening here. There's ball two. Uh, here's ball three. Whoop. And then finally you saw he, he plunks him. Catcher and batter going back and forth. Uh, the monkeys, that's the team in white. Uh, they start yelling at the catcher. At one point he's going to look over there and be like, hey, what do you want? What do you want? Um but like, am I wrong here, guys? Like, if you're gonna hit the guy, just hit him. No doubt. I mean, I don't know what you're wasting your time with there. The three pitches, you know. I mean, come on, you know. But it's uh, it's a lost start. Skin knows that. You know, there's a there's a way to pitch in. There's a way to hit him. You know, and you know that's a, that that's a decent hit. But why not just do it when the count's all and oh, That's just silly. You know, I think mean, overall that bench clearing brawl. These guys don't know how to brawl. Look at this. <laughs> it's a shove match. Come on, man. Let's go. Uh, you know what's so interesting about this also is that in that league, this never happens. So these guys are very inexperienced at this, RJ. We got to keep that in mind because you're right. This is not a typical <laughs> baseball brawl. But what's interesting is apparently the guy that was hit had been challenging earlier in the game a bat being used by the opponent. So I don't know if this was payback for that. But the first couple of pitches, I'm thinking, well, maybe he's just trying to come inside. And then the hitter turns and he starts jawing to the catcher. And then it's the next pitch that he actually smokes him right in the back. So, yeah, you know, th this was building up for a little while. There's always some context to it. And it's always interesting to find out the rest of the story. We may never know because it, it'll be in Chinese. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> it's good to see some action out there, isn't it, RJ? Yeah, it's, it's good to see the monkey starting to get it, man. I mean, and what you have to be careful in these scenarios right here, man, is it's those bullets coming in from the bullpen. You relief pitchers, I never trusted <laughs> yeah. you guys. One of the, one of you wackos come flying in at 100 miles an hour. It always scared me to death in these fights, man. Oh yeah, we're looking to cheap shot somebody too from behind, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, you might have that one. You might have that one guy out there that'll do it. You know that now. Oh yeah, no question about it. The fun part. So my question to you is also. I mean, we were talking yeah. about the the cheap shots from guys. Have you ever seen a fight break out during a fight? And you know that it has nothing to do with anything on the baseball field. It's actually oh, yeah. something that those two guys had on the side. You bet. Yeah, it definitely. It, it, it make like two and a half minutes at, after we kind of settle down and everybody's kind of looking at each other. All of a sudden, these two just start flying it over by like first base <laughs> and just beating the cheese out of each other. And here we <laughs> exactly. And we're, and we're all kind of looking around going, what was that? You know, <laughs> they weren't even involved in this whole rhubarb. What's going on? And they, they Oh, they were, yeah. There was something else. They were mad about some, a game like you know, two years ago. Who knows? I have no idea. You yeah, know? we had one like that, and we found out afterwards that it was actually a guy on our team, I guess, had been messing around with the girlfriend of somebody on the other team. Nice. <laughs> so we found out afterwards that was, it was getting real personal out there. So, hey, you know what else, RJ, I noticed? You only had 18 hit batsmen over the course of your entire 10-year career. And I had 23 and about a quarter of the number of innings pitched. Yeah. <laughs> 
Did you pitch in a lot? Or what was your time? No, no, I, I really didn't pitch in too much. I mean, and I, I guarantee you, Skins, probably, uh, let me see, number one, to, to pitch in and knock somebody down is one thing, to hit somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what am I going to do, scare him to death? You know, well, knocking him down, I could, you know, because he thought the ball might hit him, you know. But most of those are like 0-2 sliders that I, I would I would hit a right-handed you know, batter on his back foot when I started to hook a slider, you know, a little bit deeper. Yeah. And I, I swore, I mean, those were hit bats, but I bet 15 of those 18 were that way. Just irritate me to know when I got him 0-2 right where I want him and I hit him in the foot. I like you. So you were kidding. you weren't trying to get anybody. You were mad at him. You were yelling at him, get out of the way. No kidding, man. I just couldn't believe it. You know. <laughs> but I mean I mean, you know, overall I I still thought the best knockdown pitch was just throw a sinker ball down and into the hitter and let him foul it up his shin. That was beautiful. I used to love I mean he goes straight down too. That had to hurt. You uh, know And that was before all these guys started wearing all these leg guards and all the That's right. and everything. Yeah, that they you see and they couldn't. I remember I had Ron Fairley. He did it to himself twice in St. Louis in a game. And he came up the third time and he had shin guards on the catcher's shin guards. He was going to come up and hit <laughs> him and Doug Harvey wouldn't let him. So <laughs> he was going to show me, man. I, you're not great. getting me again. And I loved it. Good action. The other part of that also is you, you, you have a, a good catcher that's quick back there if you're going to pitch inside a lot. Right, RJ? Oh, big time, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I mean, my rookie year, I remember that one. Bill Robinson, I knocked him down. They were yelling at me from the dugout in Philly, and and I mean, it was a great flip too. I was I, I was even impressed with it. I mean, I knocked him down. His helmet went one way, and the bat went the other way. And he went down, and my problem was he jumped up, grabbed his bat, and then I realized he's about six four, and he was running right toward the mound with his bat. And I went, uh oh, you know. <laughs> and, so, and thank God Freddie Kendall was you know right right on his heels and, and grabbed him before he got to me. So I like thank goodness for that man. Yeah, it's a tough man, Bill Robinson. I, I believe he once started a brawl when he was the Mets' first base coach. You don't often get a base coach starting a fight. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's a good Bill Robinson story against the Pirates, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah just, just being competitive, Jesse. That's just that competitive juice coming out. Hey, good know? for him. Uh, the late, great Bill Robinson. Uh, so anyway, so we got action uh, in, in the CPBL. Obviously, everybody keeps asking, like, when will MLB be back? And we don't have that answer but I, I do think there's some things to sort of glean from what else is going on in like the global sports world. So they're back, obviously playing without fans. The KBO uh, in South Korea, they hope now to be able to start their, I don't know if it's their training or their season on May 1st. Same thing, though, no plans, you know, to have fans in attendance there. NPB in Japan, meanwhile, which is, you know, kind of the... I, I think it's probably fair to say the highest level of baseball that's played in that part of the world. I guess originally, you know, they were trying to get some things going and now they said you can forget about May and we're not going to give dates out anymore. They had kind of done, hey, maybe late April, maybe mid-May. Uh, they're saying at this point with the way the virus uh, is, is going in their country, there's just no way for them to be able to give any kind of date whatsoever. Uh, so I think all of that is, a, is like a very good reminder that it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, hey, look, you know, the virus was a month ahead there or three weeks ahead there and they're able to play baseball or they're able to start practicing. It, it's more complicated than that. There are more variables than that. Uh, the German Bundesliga, the soccer league in German, they're saying now they want to start trying to play uh, the remainder of their season beginning on May 9th. We'll see if they're able to do that. Uh, but again, I guess variables is the word that keeps popping into my mind, Bob. We have to remember, it's not as simple as saying, oh, good, they're going to be able to start playing in South Korea now. So that means we'll be able to play in a month. No question about it. There's tons of variables, as you mentioned, not only regionally with what goes on, but also within the different factions in terms of who's making all the decisions in those various leagues. 
have to remember, in some of those leagues, the players have almost no say at all in terms of what's going on. Here in the United States, it's going to have to be collectively bargained in terms of ownership and, and the players coming to an agreement and getting it all going. So, yeah, you can't just look at one region, one sport, one league and say that, OK, now that they're doing it, everybody else should be doing it. But the, the thing that's cool about what's going on in China as well, Jesse, is not only are they playing, but they do have fans. They've got robo fans. Yes, yes. I don't know if you've seen that as well, but they've actually got robots sitting in the fan, in the stands to try to, to get the guys fired up. And maybe it's working because they did have a brawl. So there, there's some intensity there. I'm a monkeys fan. I've become a monkeys fan. They seem to be. The I'm, a, I'm a monkeys fan already, Jesse. I'm in. I'm okay. in. Team I'm monkeys. Get, I'm gonna do some research. You know, on board. All right, I might, team I might try to get some autographs from the monkeys. I like this. By the way, <laughs> I don't want to just blow, keep going on the on the brawl. But to me, the body language. It looked to me like that pitcher was told that he needed to do something, and he didn't really have much interest in it. That would be like if I was broadcasting that game. That would be <laughs> the thing I would throw out there to my analyst. You know, one of you guys would be like. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but he looks like he would—he was told he needed to do something, and he just—I don't know. It's pretty good though. But don't mess with my monkeys. I'm telling you, man. All right, RJ. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I only had a manager tell me to throw at a guy one time, and it happened to be a teammate, a former teammate of mine, Jeff Cirillo. And so it was kind of odd for all the guys that I knocked down over the course of my career. The one time I was actually ordered to throw at somebody, I had to throw at a former friend of mine. So, did, I, did you ever have a situation like that? Negative. I never threw hard enough scans. Nobody asked me to. I'm <laughs> serious. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm the guy that only threw 90 pitches and the game was over. I mean, I like, gave you all 100 pitches. I never threw 100. I mean, home I can get nine. I could get nine done. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. true. Let's get out of here an hour and a half and let's go home. I get it. I love that stuff. Buddy. <laughs> We're alternating, obviously. Uh, we go from uh, CPBL to video games. That's sort of like the two things we've got going right now. Uh, so let's go back to video games. Fernando Tatis Jr. was back in action uh, in that Players League on Saturday night playing MLB The Show. Uh, each team in the majors represented by one player. And Fernando has represented the Padres very, very well. On Saturday, he went 4-0 and in his three-inning games. He is now 9-3 and uh, in the uh, round-robin portion of this schedule. He is back in action uh, later tonight, uh, but some wild highlights uh, from his success on Saturday night. Wait, he couldn't get him to bite on it again, so the count's going. Is swung on and driven out to right center. Field. Yes, 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 yes. Let's go into the home bullpen for a home. El Nino, El Nino. Wow, bro, are you number one, Brian Nino? You could bet he'd be on alert for that curveball again. And he misses with it, ball four, and a terrible You're gonna walk the, the pitch it, bro? Every sack bun to get down. Fan can egg yourself on that mound more than three. Back at the wall and Pizza Ohio! Deja vu, deja vu, deja vu! Deja vu! And that one is gone! It's crazy, man. On a two-strike count with two away in the inning. And Nino! Wow, he's so good, man. The eye spot for him. He's already got three in the game. High and deep to right center. Center fielder looking up. <laughs> this one ain't coming back. <laughs> oh, man. Here comes the one and two. And he squares oh! on this one. Deep to straightaway right. And he's the 
treasure, an absolute treasure. A couple things. One, again, he drops a piso mojado on a home run, which is just fantastic. Uh, two, referring to himself as El Nino, El Nino, El Nino is also phenomenal. Uh, three, what was it? Matt Carpenter of the Cardinals? What are you doing? What are you? He's seven home runs in one inning for Fernando in that game. <laughs> That's just crazy, man. You know. All right, his 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 uh, his managing career just went down the toilet, man. He's done. Yeah, Matt Carpenter, <laughs> not a huge big manager. I love that's that. pretty. That was pretty rough. But I love Toddy just just dealing right there and getting so fired up on every home run that he's hitting, and the, and the way that he's pumping himself up to his <laughs> El Nino, you're my favorite player. I'm your number one yeah. fan. <laughs> got a little dance in there too. We got a little merengue dancing. It was all good, man. I want to see him keep playing. He is the absolute best. And I don't need to tell anybody here uh, that that is the case. So again, Fernando back in action. See, so yeah, we got him at nine and three overall. Uh, he was four and zero on Saturday. See what he can do tonight. I believe he's playing Joey Gallo uh, tonight, and you can watch on uh, Twitch at Twitch.tv/ftatis. Uh, and Joey Gallo is like the the best so far. So that's a big time match. That's heavyweight fight, man. That's uh, Gallo. I think has only lost once or twice. Uh, Tatis, as we said, is nine and three. So that's like the two top guys uh, that have been going in this tournament. So uh, check that out coming up later on this evening. Another thing you can check out later this evening. Well, we talked about big time pitching matchups earlier, guys, and and kind of going head to head with uh, you know Tom Seaver or anything like that. How about Kevin Brown? And Randy Johnson uh, mm. in the 1998 Division Series at the Astrodome. This, of course, was the 16 strikeout game for Kevin Brown. I, I, I'm sure I will get no disagreement from you guys, RJ. Nothing better to me in baseball than this kind of pitching matchup. Yeah, and actually unbelievable. I, mean, I remember this, and you know, Kevin Brown, which is lights out. I mean, the movement that he has on the ball and the way he challenged hitters. You know, I just, uh, I just love the guy, and, and what a great ball game and. You know, and Randy Johnson didn't have to hang his head about anything as well. The way that matchup was not disappointing at all, Skins. Not at all. No, not at all. You know, Randy, I was actually a part of that 98 Astros club for the first half of the season. I, I had a nice uh, time pitching out of the bullpen for them for the first half. And, in fact, I, looking at Greg Vaughn right there was reminding of the home run trot he had against me. <laughs> I was <remember laughs> following in the zone and he got to it that season. Um, but yeah, a lot of great memories of that matchup because I was at home watching this and, and knowing those, those Astro players, of course, and uh, Greg Vaughn, my former teammate. So I cheered for both sides in a lot of ways. And, and I actually had a presence in that game, RJ. It sounds kind of strange, but Randy Johnson, when he came over to the Astros, they didn't have pants long enough to fit him. So they actually gave him my pants. So my pants are represented in that ball game. <laughs> <laughs> That's my big contribution. <laughs> that is stellar, stellar <laughs> detail being That's added. That's a kit that we didn't know. I know that. Uh, probably That's one you didn't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sack fly from Jim Larence. That was one run, and then Vaughn uh, hitting the homer. The other run, a 2-1 Padre victory. That is on tonight on Fox Sports San Diego. Uh, John Miller, Joe Morgan, by the way, had the call on that telecast. So some uh, old school Sunday night baseball slash ESPN postseason Padres and Astros game one of the 1998 NLDS uh, tonight. Uh, Oh, just about a half hour from now. So grab some dinner, uh, settle in and watch some classic Padre baseball. That gentlemen is what we've got. Uh, Bob, RJ, a pleasure. I love love Monday. I love Monday social hour guys. I love this. This was great. Thanks so much guys. A lot of fun. RJ, I I expect a a bottle of some, 
barbecue sauce heading my way pretty soon, if you don't mind, yeah. buddy. You got it, man. You just got to swing by the barn here. We can get it out, man. <laughs> Sounds good. Appreciate you guys uh, so much, everybody, for hanging out with us. As mentioned, we do the show Monday through Thursday uh, at 5.30 p.m. Uh, so we'll be back at it tomorrow. We got a fun thing to argue about. Cassavell is on tomorrow. AJ Cassavell of MLB.com. Uh, he has a thing going up on Padres.com tomorrow that will cause great debate, and it involves me. So I look forward to giving him a very hard time about that on tomorrow's show. We'll have some other fun stuff for you as well. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy game one of the 98 Division Series tonight on Fox Sports San Diego. And uh, we leave you with a look at the bay and the bridge uh, and out towards uh, Coronado. Hope everybody has a great rest of the evening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Night.